There are special days that people remember throughout the calendar year. Some of them may be remembered because of particular anniversaries of some kind or another. There are other days when we're remembered because of the significance of them in terms of battles that were fought and the innocent were to fall so that we might have our freedom and our liberty. How much greater is that, though, in the spiritual sense? And none more so than for the nation of Israel when they assembled on what was known as the Day of Atonement. Men and women, Leviticus chapter 16 is speaking essentially of that very day, the Day of Atonement. And it is still a day that is special to the Jew, even to this generation. These words detail for us how the nation assembled together before God. And they did so as sinners who recognized their sin and their guilt and acknowledging their need of the Lord. They stood as a people who had no hope in and of themselves, but rather their hope lay in another. And that other was Aaron the high priest who worked on their behalf. You see, this is the day in which he was to enter into the holiest of the holies. And if you can picture the uh, Old Testament tabernacle, it essentially had three parts. There was the outer court. And then inside the tabernacle, there was the holy place. That's where all the various uh, items of the furniture were situated. Uh, Of course, there was those outside, the altar, etc., where the, the animals were slain. Then there was the great veil, the veil that reached from the top to the bottom, and beyond that was the holiest of holies. And only on the Day of Atonement would Aaron the high priest enter beyond that veil, and he did so to present the shed blood of the innocent victim for the sins of the people. It was a day to be remembered ever since the night of the Passover in the land of Egypt, For of course it was then that the people were directed to take a lamb of the flock. And that lamb had to be inspected and set apart for three days before it was slain. And its blood was shed and collected in the basin. And that blood was taken by the hyssop branch and it was to be applied to the doorposts and to the lintels of the home. And they were sheltering neath that blood. For the Lord said, when I see the blood... I will pass over you. There you have the very origin of what is known as the Feast of Passover. And dear people, I want you to understand that all the Scriptures are used to manifest the Lord Jesus Christ. And Israel's Day of Atonement most graphically displays Him. What the prophets sang, what the apostles preached, What the Savior did both as her sacrifice and high priest are all found to take shape in these verses. The eye of faith will look at this day and each moment pictures the Savior. For as it is true of all the offerings in the Old Testament, the offering which is mentioned in this chapter is a type of that once and for all sacrifice for sin upon the cross of Calvary. 
There are comparisons to be observed. There are truths to be understood and learned. And it is in particular to the words that teach us and concerning the bringing of the goats to the tabernacle that I want us to consider tonight. For in them we see sin transferred, sin paid for, and sin removed. I want you to notice, first of all, the offering for sin. As I said, there are various offerings which are detailed through the pages of Leviticus. They're known, in fact, as the Levitical offerings. One of them being the sin offering. And as the term suggests, there must needs be atonement made for on behalf of the sins of the people. Sin is an awful thing. It marred the beauty of earth and earth's creation from the time of the Garden of Eden. It drove the soul of man from peaceful fellowship with his creator God. It is sin that condemns souls to a lost eternity in hell. And sin is that which must be punished either in the unpardoned soul or else in a substitute that is offered up for and on behalf of the sins of the people. And thereby we read in verse 5 of how they brought to the tabernacle of the congregation an offering. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering, one ram for a burnt offering. You will bear in mind the significance of the goats when I bring you to Deuteronomy chapter 14, and to read just one verse, verse 4, verse 3, I'll give you the context. The Lord said through Moses, thou shalt not eat any abominable thing. Verse 4, these are the beasts which ye shall eat, the ox, the ass, and the goat, and etc. on into chapter, or into verse 5 as well. But you'll notice that one of those animals was the goat. These were creatures which were considered clean. They were fit for food. And something in itself which may suggest the purity of Christ and himself being a suitable offering for the people. There's other animals, and they were counted as unclean. And they weren't to be taken. But the goat is mentioned among those that were clean. There were animals which were brought from the flock. And they were to be offered for the sins of the people. You'll notice that not only were they brought, look at the words of verse 7, where it tells us they were presented. Shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. They're brought before the door of the tabernacle. That is where the seat of divine majesty was. And so it is said to be before the Lord. Or if you like, over against uh, that place where he dwelt in the holiest of holies. And again, there must be significance where the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned. He was to present himself to God as an offering and a sacrifice. When we think of Calvary men and women, always remember that first and foremost, it was God word. It was a sacrifice unto his Father, his Heavenly Father. And then there was the horizontal view, a sacrifice for the sins of his people. But Christ presented himself before God 
And, of course, that sacrifice was one which was done publicly in the sight of the great multitudes and on the behalf of the whole congregation of his people. You will read in the gospel accounts of how Calvary was a very open place. And you'll read, I think, in particular in John's gospel, of how it says there that the people passed by and they wagged their heads at him. It was a very open place. It was a known place for, for crucifixion. And there on that middle tree was the Lord Jesus Christ. He presented himself to bear the sins of many. And that is what we read in Luke 9, that he steadfastly set his face to, to go to Jerusalem. He had come to do his Father's will. And that meant laying down his life on the cross. And thus when his time had come, and he knew when his hour had come, John 13 verse 1, he was to turn not to the right hand nor to the left, but he stepped forward and he presented himself as that offering for sin. But when we further consider the Old Testament setting, then we must also note that of the two goats that have been brought, there was a choice to be made. Notice verse 8. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Aaron cast the lots. As a way of differentiating in the scriptural times, the casting of lots. One lot, it fell upon the goat, and it meant death. It meant the shedding of its blood upon the altar. It meant the presenting of it before the mercy seat in the holiest of holies in the presence of God. But for the other goat, it meant being a victim in a different manner. But essentially, it meant being taken away, never to be seen again, and thereby it was called a scapegoat. But in the, in the choosing of these goats, and for what purpose? I believe there's one message. and There's one purpose betrayed, and that is the offering up of Christ upon Mount Calvary for the sins of his people. The Lord Jesus Christ was the sinless and the perfect Lamb of God whose goings forth are from everlasting to everlasting. Yet in the counsels of eternity past, the will of the Father was that one day when the fullness of time was come, He would send forth His only begotten Son uh, down to be amongst men and one day to be offered up as an offering for sin. The choice to put Christ to death was not something that men were to make. Just as it was not in their hands which goat was to die and which was to be the scapegoat. Oh, don't get me wrong. The Jews, on that never-to-be-forgotten day, may have thought it was their choice. And we take our place amongst them and we hear them cry out, away with him, crucify him. They decided, they made their choice in their heart. We want Barabbas to be released. But we want Christ to be crucified. And they thought that they had made their choice as they sought that that chief, that, that thief would be released. Isn't it ironic that Barabbas means the son of the father? Yet the Son of the Father will die on that middle cross. 
But alas, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, if you turn to Acts chapter 2, when he was preaching Christ to the great crowds that assembled there for the feast, it was Peter who was to remind them that the choice lay not with themselves, as they certainly were guilty of his death. Acts 2 verse 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. The choice wasn't with men. The choice had already been made in eternity past. Made by God. It was a choice of the eternal Father that meant and decreed that Christ should be sent and chosen to die as the only deliverer for all who will call upon him. And he whom God chooses is able to do the work where Christ was to take upon himself the form of man. That's why he came and was born in that manger. That's why we read about the incarnation of Christ. He took upon himself the form of man. He was one person with two distinct natures. He was God, but he was also man and both God-man, and there upon the cross of Calvary, he was to die the death of the cursed. He was to die as the substitute for his own people. His blood was to be shed, for without the shedding of blood, there would be no remission of sins. And having finished the work of our salvation, and having offered himself but once on that cross, we are reminded of what Paul the Apostle writes in Hebrews 9 and 12. He says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And why we cannot explain it, men and women, yet we we teach it from the word of God that Christ having offered that one sacrifice he was to present his blood before the Father he was to bring his blood into heaven itself because that was to fulfill the Old Testament sacrifice of what had happened when Aaron brought the blood beyond the veil even on the day of atonement and the Savior's death and his Bloodshedding is what is in view in the offering up of the goat upon the altar for the sins of the people. And that offering was not complete until the blood was brought by the high priest through the veil of that holiest of holies and sprinkled before and upon the mercy seat. The means of pardon and approach for the people of God was upon the grounds of the shed blood. And when Christ cried, finished upon the cross, what happened? That veil that was rent from top to bottom, right in the middle. And where the Old Testament saints could never go, we can go. We can enter in to the very presence of God. It's through the blood-sprinkled way of the cross. Tell me, you who are afar off in your sin, will you not avail yourself of this open way? Will you not seek to draw near to God through the once-for-all offering for sin in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way that leads to God. There's only one ark. There's only one door in the ark. There's only one Jacob's ladder. There's only one 
There's only one way to heaven, and that is through Christ and through his finished work on Calvary's tree. One way that leads to God is the way of the cross. For a bloodless offering is an awful cheat. It robs the cross of its glory. It feigns to react what has been done forever. He said, finished. That's finished. The offering for sin. But then you'll notice also the transfer of sin. There was in this day of atonement the offering up of the good as a sin offering. And how his blood was the price demanded for sin and for God's justice to be satisfied. The load of sin is a great weight and burden. And that for the unconverted, it's a weight that increases every moment, every day where they are concerned. And in the shed blood is the only remedy for that weight and for that burden of sin. And for the soul that trusts Christ, for the soul that rests upon the powerfulness, the efficacy of the precious blood, then there's forgiveness to be had. Justice has claims. Our debts are countless. How can we buy our souls out from being under God's wrath? Let the creditors bring their books. Christ is able to sprinkle every page clean. Sin's load is an exceeding weight. You think of all the sins that you've ever committed from your birth. That's an awful weight. But the precious blood of Christ is able to outweigh it. The Lord is able to blot out every page that is recorded against you. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, is able to clear away every barrier that is stopping and is hindering you reaching heaven tonight. And around that great throne one day there will be those from every nation, every kindred, every tongue and every people and they'll be singing of the one who washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They'll be in heaven for all eternity, free from sorrow, free from sin. Will you be there? You see, that is the hope and that is the assurance that every one of God's people have, all because of Christ and all because of his offering up of himself for sin. For in Christ, not only has the sinner one who is our substitute, but through his sacrifice, we have one who has, been, who has dealt with our sin. And that is the thought that is taken up even in the other goat that was the scapegoat. It was taken from among the flock. It was an innocent victim like the other goat. But you'll notice that upon its head there was to be depicted the transferring of the sins of the people. Now the boys and girls, young people will know what a transfer is. There are what we call transfer tests. People don't like them or parents don't like them. And children have to do a transfer test to go from one school to another. Then you get into the sports arena and you hear this time of the year and particularly around the football teams there's a transfer of this player and a transfer of that player. What's that mean? He's moving one from one club to another. And that's what happened here. 
There's a transfer. Look at verse 20. And when he had made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat, and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send them away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. The author seems to emphasize the fact Moses seems to underline it by the guidance of the Holy Ghost that it was a live goat. Look at verse 10. But the goat in which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord. And you'll see it is alive in verse 20 and it's alive in verse 21. And there's an emphasis there. It's presented alive. And Christ, our sacrificial lamb, was one who was full of vigor, full of life when he presented himself on behalf of his people. It was the Savior himself who said, no man can take, take my life from me. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. I will lay down my life. But upon this life, goat was to be laid the hands of the high priest. And you can picture that in your own mind's eye. And there's a confession of the sins of the people over that goat. All the transgressions, all their sins, all the catalogue of them, all their iniquities were openly confessed in the presence of the people. And they were made to see it, and they were made to hear it. The blood had already been shed. The atonement had already been made. And now, as it were, they were to realize that their sin, which had caused the death of the goat, was being transferred from them. And it was transferred to the head of this other goat. What a deep emotion must have prevailed in the camp as they considered the teaching here, the typology, as they considered the burden of sin taken away and being relieved of it and it being instead laid upon this goat. What a graphic picture is betrayed for us. For I thrust you forward down through the corridors of time to that day when the darkness veiled the whole earth and darkness was over the Calvary in midday while the Son of God hung and suffered and died there on the cross. He was the sinless offering because he who knew no sin had become sin for us. The transfer had been made. And God has a pure eyes and to behold iniquity and so he could not look upon his son and he veiled at Calvary in darkness. And as is taught in Isaiah 53, it was the Lord who was to lay on him the iniquity of us all. No mere man could lay our sins on his head. It was God himself. And there on the cross, Christ bore our sins in his own body in the tree as if they were his own. He suffered the full judgment. He suffered the full penalty for them that we might be forgiven, that we might go free. And the apostle puts it like this in Hebrews 9 and 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Our sins all met upon Christ at Calvary. In fact, that verse that we've quoted already from Isaiah 53, a marginal reading will, 
reading will help you. It gives the idea of a storm converging and the storm bursts at the cross and the wrath of God is made to fall on Christ. He led on him the iniquity of us all and he bore them all away. If there was one sin which was not laid upon Christ, one sin which he did not shed his blood and die for, one sin in which he could not atone for, then not one of us would ever have the assurance and the hope of being eternally saved and in heaven one day. But bless God, we can say with assurance tonight, Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Our sins in total. God caused to meet on him. And there he was to pay the punishment for them that was our due and was your due. And that means, sinner, that if you will have your sins dealt with, if you will have your sins paid for, then you must look to Christ by faith. And you must receive him as your own and personal saviour. You must cry out for God in mercy to save your soul. Just like that old publican in the temple. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And bless God at the repentance of your sin. And accepting Christ by faith. You'll know the immediate blessings of your sins being transferred from you. You'll know immediate pardon and peace in the knowledge that your sins are forgiven. I wonder, would you not have Christ as your Savior now? What a work has been done at the cross. The offering for sin and the transfer of sin upon Christ. And I want you to notice the removal of sin. For it's one thing to transfer, it's another thing to remove. When the people were to see the hands of that high priest as it were, transferring their sin, and as they were to hear the confession of those sins made in their very presence, then they were to realize something else. Verse 21, And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. What a feeling must have prevailed at the camp now. How their hearts could say, my burden has been taken away. The scapegoat takes it and I am relieved. The goat upon which the transfer had been made was to be sent away. You'll see what sort of place it was to be sent to was outside the camp, was to be sent to the wilderness, into the desert, that barren place. It was a place where dwelt no life, but a sure burial ground. And so as you don't miss the significance of it, it's put slightly differently, but again in verse 22, and the goats shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, No man there. A place where it would be unseen, unknown, forgotten about, 
to all intents and purposes, buried in a land of oblivion. It could never return again, and therefore its iniquities, which had been entitled upon it, would never be able to reappear again. It was a land that was uninhabited. The scapegoat was banished into that land of desolation where no sound of life was to be found. No water could sustain it. It was consigned to the waste howling place. It was consigned to a place of death. And I want you to see how it got there. For it says at the end of verse 21, they'll send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. What rendered him fit? It was one who knew the lie of the land. It was one who knew such a wilderness and such a desolate place. A man in whom the people would have every confidence that in letting the goat go, he would do a work. He would make sure that it would never return again with their sin upon its head. It was a fit man who would do such a work of carrying away our sins. I hear the answer. In the words of the psalmist, Psalm 69, verse 2, it says, I sink in deep mire where there's no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I can only speak of Christ. That fit man must be Christ. Just as much as he is the scapegoat who has not only paid the punishment for our sins, but he has borne them away, that they're never to be seen again. You see, that is what God does with our sins. When we lay hold upon God's Lamb for salvation, he forgives them, yes, but he takes them away. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And the boys and girls, young people can know there's a North Pole and a South Pole. There are points. But you don't have any points in the East and the West. You can go East and keep going, going East and keep going, going East. It's immeasurable. As far as the East is from the West, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Micah 7 and 19 says, I will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Uninhabited place. A sure burial ground. They're in the land not inhabited. The marginal rendering of that is the land of separation. It was upon the cross that the Lord was cut off out of the land of living. He was raised on that middle cross in a place of no standing between heaven and earth. In a place of desolation and death. And God says to the laden sinner tonight, who will look by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, who will lay hold upon him, thy sins and thine iniquities, I will remember no more. They're blotted out. They're taken away. And the greatest blessing to know is to know that this is a once-for-all sacrifice for sins. You see, this is where the anti-type overrides the type in the Old Testament. For the passage that we've looked at tonight about the Day of Atonement, 
and about the scapegoat and the goat that was slain, the high priest had to do the same the next year and the following year and the following year. But concerning the Savior, he now once in the end of the world hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's finished. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, sat down at the right hand of God. Tell me, my friend, as your sins been laid upon Jesus, as we've been singing earlier on, you can know the removal of your sins forever if you will but come and take him as Lord and as Savior and be saved. Sins transferred, paid for, and removed. May God help you to do so. May the Lord bless even the truth of the passage to us, to each and every heart tonight, for his own name's sake.